0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Talking Points with KPI. Today is episode 30. We have made it all the way to episode 30. Today's topic will be CLA, which stands for Constraint-Led Approach. We use this in the facility. It's a different style of training that we use. Um, Dan, I'll let you get right into it and just kind of give a brief overview before we start our conversation. The
1: Constraints-Led Approach uh, looks at and I'm, I'm gonna do my best to explain some by far, not an expert, but it's something that I've uh, invested a lot of time and learning on, um, three entities. You have the athlete, they'll call it the organism, you have the task, and you have the environment. And so the environment's pretty straightforward. Uh, I like, I don't know who I got this from, uh, probably Rob Gray, but he, he said the environment is and an environmental constraints are things that are gonna affect all people, so the example that he gave was you got a football field, the baseball field, a soccer field, and a volleyball court, all in the same area. An environmental constraint will affect all of them. So if you change the ball on the football field, that doesn't affect volleyball. If you change the uh, exercise, or you change the what the athlete's doing on a certain area there, size of the football field, whatever it may be, then it, it doesn't necessarily affect there. Whereas you change the, the sunlight, day or night, if you change the weather, rain or dry, those are environmental constraints. Uh, and we see this in baseball, where there are certain hitters who do better hitting at night, and certain hitters who do better hitting during the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, environmental constraints. So uh, secondary to that uh, is the task. So uh, again, we'll use our, our baseball example again. A hitter, my task right now, I've got runners in first and second, no outs. Uh, I'm going to try and square ball up because I want to get an extra base hit to score some runs. Or, my task right now is, a abund- I'm getting it down, I'm getting my job done, or I'm a pitcher. That task is specific to that, you know, the context of that instance. Uh, and then the organism themselves, the athlete, height, weight, size, strength, power, the mind, intention, I think is a big one that a lot of coaches are talking about. Uh, you know, all of those fall into that, those three categories. So those three things interact and then movement emerges. Mm-hmm. And so secondary to that is the idea of uh, what's called perception-action coupling. So perception is really simple, meaning like what I perceive, the information I take in from the environment, from the task, uh, me as an organism, my ability to process that information, yeah. that is then going to influence my movements. Where I think this is where a lot of coaches get lost, that the they think the movement themselves, the athlete, if I think about my hands doing this, or I think about my hips doing this, that's what's going to lead, to the repeatable swing, or that's going to lead to good throwing mechanics, Mm. where no, 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 it's It's the interaction of the environment, what the organism is capable of, their intentions and what their physical capabilities are, uh, among other things, and then the task that's been given to them. Mm. Uh, And as you break those three things down, you need to manipulate them to then get the movements you want. And the way that you can manipulate them is through constraints. Uh, And so you know, that could be as simple as changing the bat, they're swinging, changing the ball, they're hitting, uh, changing the goal of the task. Hey, I want you to hit line drives. I want this number on the blast motion sensor to be really, really high or really, really low. Um, uh, And so the constraints, a lot of times coaches will go into like physical constraints. I'm gonna put a band around your arms because you're casting your hands and I want them to stay tight. Well, that is a way of adding in constraints to a drill. But there's a lot more constraints i think the one that we we've seen uh, in the facility is the perception of success and failure mm. i don't like hitting in the big cage when everybody's watching because if i swing and miss i'm have the perception that i'm i'm failing and everyone mm. thinks that i suck yeah. and that is going to be a constraint where i'd rather just make contact and just put the ball in play than actually try and have the intention of hitting that line driver or smoking that ball mm. so those two, and again, this is extremely simplified, those two things kind of make up the, the constraints that approach and how, and how we kind of, the basis that we're using this
2: facility. And I think before we get too granular and specific with our examples on how we use it in here, it's important to, to highlight that this is all rooted in research and science and skill acquisition. That's, That's actually true. really old. This is not new stuff. You know, People that study skill acquisition have been on this for quite a while. It just, I think because it is, uh, Real scientific y kind of information and stuff that it hasn't become mainstream and a lot it hasn't had a widespread adoption. Uh, but it is very rooted in science and research and, like, hey, this stuff is real. This is how skill acquisition happens the most efficiently. Um, and that's why we use it, because you know, Dan and I have done a lot of research on it and we've kind of now implemented systems with our hitting and our pitching that revolve around a constraints led approach. Um, but it is rooted in a, in a really solid foundational piece of, of research and science. Um, and people get a little you know it's people don't understand it and they don't expect it people get a little tripped out when they see our environment in here and it, it's not you don't hear coaches voices very much in here no. um we we coach in the environment um we coach the way we set things up uh, we coach with our tech and uh, our job is to make sure that they're executing the environment properly not not for us uh, to change their swing or, or change their pitching mechanics because if we set up the environment properly and it's individualized to a certain extent, they're gonna do that on their own, which is the best way to learn. Absolutely.
1: I think the this is gonna feel like some of the tangent, <clears throat> but um, uh, there's a book, the How to Win Influence Friends by Dale Carnegie. Mm-hmm. As you read this book, the people who are very personable, and if that's you yourself, you're like, oh, I do that. I, I remember everybody's names. I, I ask them questions about how their weekend was. Like I do all these things, but then once you become aware to that, oh, these are tools in my tool belt for getting people to like me and mm-hmm. listen to me, and oh, these are better coaching tools that I can put in my about to coach athletes better, set up better practice plans, create environments or schemes for them to actually do the movements I want them to do, yeah. then you can double down on it. And I think a lot of very good coaches do fall into these buckets and the things in the news, the tools that we're talking about, and they do it inherently, whether they are aware of it or not. But once you become aware of this, uh, this style of coaching or this way of going about things, um, then again, then you can double down on it and it makes things more uh, efficient and you more, more effective. And it enables you, and you've, you've gone through this process of, I can work with more kids now. Uh, I, can, I can, if I take care of the environment, I take care of the right task, I let the strength coach take care of the, the, the athlete themselves, strength, size, all those things, yep. then I can get granular, then I can get into the nitty gritty, because I know that I've already taken care of most, most of that needs to be taken care of.
0: So Chase, go into a little bit, because obviously you're the one kind of manning this uh, constraints letter approach inside of the facility. How have you seen the kids, I mean, obviously the ones that started here had been going through it the whole time, so they know nothing different. Sure. But how have you seen the ones that have come from the so-called cookie-cutter approach to where it's I only swing one way at this facility to now it's you have an option. Mm-hmm. We have ways where you can solve this swing out other than that. How yeah. have you seen them react to that?
3: Well, you're, you're basically trying to filter kids. You're filtering, like, like Dan was talking about filtering movements into the one that you want, right? Mm-hmm. And like, that's the idea because it's it's actually a lot easier just to tell kids what to do, sure. right? Yeah. But that doesn't, like the biggest problem with hitting, like being a hitting coach is, then all of a sudden they get to game time and then they go back to their old stuff, right? And so this allows them to figure, like, to solve these problems on their own, you know, and then be able to actually continuously execute mm-hmm. what you want them to do. And then those movement changes and those, like, the skill acquisition actually sticks. Okay. Um, and that that's the biggest deal there is you can sit there and tell kids what to do all off season. The game time happens, right? I'm stressed or whatever. I go back to my old habits. I mean, that's just the way that it works. And so allowing kids to understand, one, what problem they're trying to solve, but then two, like letting them kind of figure it out as you go through, and then, you know, being the uh, the guide rails in the bowling alley to keep them going in the right direction. I think the task
1: piece is, is crucial to what you're talking about. Mm. I think that the first justification of why we need to coach differently is that is the common thing almost every kid I sit down with in the, the assessment process. When you go back to games, you fall back to old habits. Oh yeah, I always get told that my yeah. parents, my mom, my dad, my coach. And it's like, well, that means that you aren't training or uh, developing your skill in a way that is giving you the opportunity to have success on the field. And I think it falls back to that task piece first. Is the task that you're being given from your coaches as relatable to an actual game? Or are you just hitting off the tee? Or are you just throwing bullpens to a target? Or are you just executing this one task in this moment that maybe is a drill that's going to help you? but it's not the true task at hand of being a hitter or being a pitcher in a game.
2: Well, that concept of transferring the training environment to the game environment, which is obviously the whole point of all this, Mm -hmm. like it it centers around the fact that you don't, so like let's say a kid has a crappy swing and we want to change it, theoretically, right? Give them a better swing, okay? You don't change their movement patterns. You create a new one, okay? Like that's that's how the motor skills work. But what happens is you get under game stress and you go back to your default. OK, so if, if, if I'm a coach using an old school approach or the normal approach of telling him what to do and he doesn't truly acquire that skill. Yeah. All right. He makes you happy in the moment. Put your hands here. Now flip him a ball. He hits a line drive. Good. OK, so he, yeah. he, he made the coach happy in the moment. but He didn't acquire that new skill like there wasn't any learning that took place. OK, so if you don't create a new skill, one and then ingrain that new skill with actual motor learning, then it will never show up in the game. Right? So there's this huge gap. And so that's why the constraint slot approach is the way to go is because they'll get the new skill, okay? And then we keep ingraining it into them with the environment Mm -hmm. and it's personalized like we do in here. Then all of a sudden it's going to pop up in games under stress because that new movement pattern will then become the dominant one after a certain amount of focused repetition. Yeah. Yeah, I think
1: that desire to make it show up in games and transfer it, it is key and another reason that we need to start doing things differently coaching needs to be done differently uh, I, I liken this to this we, we've had this conversation multiple times if you're sitting in math class and you're taking a test and the teachers looking over your shoulder and like ah i think we should do a no no, no, no maybe b well maybe carry, carry the two and they're always the over your shoulder saying again. oh your hands are dropping oh your hips aren't rotating yeah. oh you're doing this oh you're doing that You will see it played on the field. The kids, you'll know who those kids are. They look in the dugout or they look in the stands at their parents. They'll swing and miss or they'll do something bad and they'll look at the coach, what did I do wrong? Can you help me? Please, give me the answer. And we know that learning is going to, it's difficult and it's frustrating, but learning is going to happen faster and be retained via failure, Mm -hmm. not success. Success doesn't teach us a ton, because we don't necessarily know why we had success in that moment. Mm -hmm. Whereas failure and giving the right uh, task, the problems to solve, um, that's going to facilitate that true learning that we we want to see.
2: And that's why not only is it kind of silly, but it's also damaging for a parent or a coach to yell in the moment at that player, put your hands here, do this. Like, you are not not only are you not helping him, you're hurting him in that more that moment in time, okay? Because if they haven't acquired the skill to execute the task at that moment in time, they're not going to get it because you told them something. You're giving them corrupt information that they can't interpret in the moment. Nor do they have any idea what you're talking about.
3: Yeah, like, you know like
2: like dad yelling from the stands to put your hands higher yeah. and swing down on the ball is not going to help Johnny mm-hmm. execute that situation that moment. Johnny training the right way and having the proper motor skills will. Yeah. Um and it, but it's it's we explain these things to parents, and they still can't resist themselves in the moment. They still have to do it.
3: It's um, almost like habit, right? That's yeah. just how we've all learned how to do it. You know, sure. I mean, it's already hard enough to hit a move in baseball, let alone trying to think about where your body is and then you know, yeah. be on time for it and then square it up. Seriously. Like it's, it's too hard. Getting kids to actually understand or be able to repeat those movement patterns is the most important part but like putting putting everything together to allow them to do that and then coaching them through that is the best way to go which I
1: think I think that that repeating piece I I say this a lot is like we don't want repeatable movements we want adaptable Hmm. We want to be able to adapt to the night game or day game. We yep. want to be able to handle the turf box versus the batter's box that has a giant hole in it. Or the mound that's perfectly pearled out and tanks or that has that massive hole because it's the last tournament of the day. and Or you're throwing on the mound with turfs and versus throwing with cleats. Like we need adaptable athletes. We need repeatable outcomes. Yep. We want to consistently barrel the ball up. We want to consistently throw strikes and throw hard. We want to have su- consistent success, but we have to have all these different routes to get there. And the reason, again, this is another big piece for us is that individualization, individualization component is every athlete's unique. Mm-hmm. And then if we say this is step one, two, three to having a good hitter and every hitter should do that and every pitcher should do that, you're going to instantly uh, eliminate at least 80% of the population, maybe 90% of the population yeah. that they can't do those things. Yeah. So, um, the one, the one I'm going to comment here just a little bit. You two, like you have more experience with it and it's taken some time to get used to and, sure. and get up to speed on. Yeah. You have zero. Yeah. So like, let's, you know, you two talk about hey like I, I, what about this what about that like what what were your, some of your uh, apprehension I guess co- coming into this where it's like again like this is how I was coached my entire life absolutely and then in this moment in time like I was like oh man like maybe that light bulb feel like, oh this what this works and then yeah I think had a few of this. no
3: for sure I think what what the hardest part for me was understanding like movement but then thinking I have to tell them how to get the movement that I want right and trying to like hey this is step one step two because that's how i was like taught that's how i did that for a long time and then being able to come in here and like have the the hitting system basically set up and run it the way that it should be in regards to having kids figure it out and then just seeing it happen or seeing the realization happen of kids being like oh if i want this line drive to happen then i need to be set up or whatever and i'm watching kids do that on the road and you see that happen all the time on the hitting side where guys will come up and be like Oh, like so then this is like a b and c or whatever yeah. and it just happens because you're allowing athletes to be athletes instead of being the athletes that you want them Absolutely. to be right they're yes. not it's not my swing it's theirs and so allowing them to to use the tools that they have to be the best hitters that they can and not playing someone else's game is a big deal yeah, he's, he says it all the
0: time too it's i i can't swing for you and that's a big thing that i feel like coaches misunderstand especially when i was playing is they, they, they put themselves in your shoes at that moment. Okay, this is how I would swing. This is how I would teach you to do this. Well, I'm not you. I can't I can't be you, nor can I have anything to do similar with you. And you
2: individually interpret information exactly. differently. Exactly. No, I, I, no. I,
0: I might take that differently when you say it in context. Uh, but one thing that Chase does really well is he lets the players, and I've noticed this with all the coaches, even Curtis, Chase, Patrick, they let the players kind of figure it out themselves, they'll, they'll lead them, like you said, they'll put the guardrails there, but they're not going to solve the answer for them. They know the answer, but they want them to get it. They want them to say it so it's verbally affirmated in their head. Okay, I get it now. I just need, to, okay, I get it. All right, change this, but they never said a thing. It's all them going through it. And that's what I've, and like you said, I don't have zero experience on this, but being able to see that and come up in a baseball background and know a little bit about hitting um, it's just it's easy to see and it runs super smooth and the kids another thing i like is that like you don't have kids sitting at tees for 45 minutes waiting around like a normal practice would there's always something to do you're doing something at all times your your constraint approach is always applicable in whatever you're doing um, and the coach is able to get that in there as well so i i from zero to, experience, it's very it's very nice. To
3: well, hit on that actually, what it, what it allows me to do in my mind, and the biggest thing that like got me sold to is it allows me to be a coach yeah. and understand how you process information, mm-hmm. understand what else you need outside of like the environment and or, like what we set up in here to be able to then do that, and then that then can bleed into more. Yeah, you know, like now I'm getting better here and getting better here because I'm we are tailoring everything yes. to how you process information. Sure.
2: And and we find that. The athletes enjoy this approach Mm -hmm. so much more Mm -hmm. than the traditional approach, okay? Their entire day, they're squawked at by their parents, by their teachers, by their field coaches. Just constant directive of information into them instead of them, on the flip side, being able to process an environment and figure it out on their own, okay? So not only do we know objectively that this is the best way to improve motor skills and, 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 uh, and acquire new motor skills, but we also can, somewhat subjectively, but based on the, you know, the feedback and the retention we have in here, the enjoyment the athlete has with this kind of approach is at a much higher level than just sitting there and having some, some guy tell you what to do with your hands or your back foot or something. Yeah. yeah.
1: The, uh, I'm going to forget the name. Somebody I follow online calls it like the teacher king. Hmm. Like you're in the front of the room, and I am I control all the information. I got all the answers. you got to wait for me to give them to you. And yeah. once I do, then it's your job to then make sure you remember when we take the test. Yeah. Because when you fail, it's your fault. Yeah. But when you have success, oh, it was me.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'll, I'll make I'll joke on this where it's like the kid hits a bomb or, or has a really good outing and it's like oh you're welcome.
0: Yeah. And
1: i will start oh yeah thanks Dan I'm like no I'm totally kidding like it, yeah. it's 100 you because yeah. when you have the success it's yours when you have your failure it's yours and it will always be that way and I, I do think that's something that the, the kids enjoy uh, in here.
2: And right. I think on our end and and Dan and I have been through quite a bit of staff at this point in time. It's an ego check for the coach to teach this way and to coach this way, because basically what, what the constraints led approach is saying is that the coach's words and directions don't matter very much. Mm -hmm. Okay. And 90, 95% of coaches think that their word and their direction is the most important thing in the world, you know, to the player. And it's not, we know that not to be true. Um, so you have to kind of, as a coach, step back a little bit and understand, like, I'm coaching in the environment, and now my job is to make sure they execute that environment properly. That's a much different mindset, and, and it does take some ego checking, and we've had plenty of coaches come in here and really, really struggle with it. You know, Chase adapted and, and adopted, but we've had coaches kind of not a, not not do that, and we've, and we've had to kind of part ways, and, and you know, the line, and it can be kind of hard sometimes, it's like they always want to say, well, this is what I think works, and... Not interested yeah, in what you think works. All right. I'm interested in what actually yeah, works, you know, kind of so it. yeah. and it's it's tough.
1: You think of those three things. There is like environment, task, athlete. Absolutely. The coach isn't now the equation. Nope. Not saying they're not important, but and this is something we get knocked on. A lot of kids, oh, I don't get coached a ton in this facility. You have no idea how much we invest time, energy, and money into creating the environment, choosing the right task, designing the, the program for the athlete to then all that matters, the only limiting factors for you achieving your goals is how hard are you willing to work, yeah. how hard are you going to push yourself mentally, and do you really believe you're going to achieve those things? We take care of everything else. Yep. But we'll get knocked on that where kids are like, oh, I don't get coached in there. They don't. Dude, we chose these drills specifically for you, yeah. and we need you to figure it out. You want the coach to give you the, the, the answer. You want the, the quick fix, just change your hands, and all of a sudden I'm hitting the crap out of the ball. It just, unfortunately, it just doesn't necessarily work. Sometimes. So dude, I'm going I'm to cut you off.
0: Yeah. How have you seen those kids react to this? Because there is, obviously, everybody knows. It's not for everyone. Yeah, it's so. not for Everybody's not going to like everything. That's just how the world works. Um, but how have you seen them come in and be like, OK, well, I tried it. It's not for me. And then what? Yeah. Uh, they leave. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we have no problem with that. Okay. If you're, if you're not fit for our environment, you don't match with those coaches. This yep. is you know, somewhat of a tangent. Like, there are facilities and coaches that are going to match every single kid across the U.S. and across sure. the world. We know our niche. We're mm-hmm. going to try and uh, meet the needs of as many kids as possible. And so we have a massive staff because the kids that connect with Chase might not connect with me, might connect with Coach Kalen, mm-hmm. Coach Alicia, Coach Avery, whoever it may be. Yes. Um, if you don't, we will help find you a place. Like we will refer you to others yeah. because we want you to have success. We want to put your needs first. And if it's in this building, awesome. We'll do everything we can to convince you. Yeah. But if that's not the case, like we want every kid, we have kids right now who are having success in their high school seasons and they've gone to other facilities, other gyms. And I will like, I've texted or we'll be texting them saying, dude, you're killing it right now. Mm. I'm pumped for you. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you were in here because I like you as a person and you're a good kid, but Ultimately, all that matters is you having success out in the field, yeah. and you know that—that's—that's that's what we, our mm-hmm. response would be to that. Actually. Absolutely.
2: But let's talk about some of the specifics yep. that we yeah. use in here. You know, for the CLA, and just I think hitting's the easiest one. Yep. Um, but we can also touch on the pitch and strength. But you know, two of the main, and we call them buckets that we program guys in here are bat speed and attack angle, and then the probably the easiest, I guess, uh, equivalency for describing a constraints-led approach. So um, bat speed we see go down in season a lot. Right, when, like this time of the year for our high school athletes, we see their bats. They come in on a Sunday, or they check in after a few weeks, and their bat speeds are down. Okay, we use constraints outside in their in their um, warm-ups to to basically get into the tunnels. We have swing speed monitors, so they're constantly checking what their velocity is on the swing. That's a constraint, right? They're getting feedback, okay, and we and then they can meet certain goals. Uh, attack angle is a big one that we train in here. Okay, so if a guy has uh, what would be considered a low attack angle, so a flat swing or downward swing, okay? We have targets that they aim at, okay? We give them, we put the blast on their bat so they can get feedback on, on each swing and what they're looking at. So Chase can probably dive in a little deeper on how we're using constraints on the hitting side.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's it too, from a from a drill standpoint, it's just getting them to to a position that, afford, like again, like kind of filters them into the path that we need them to do, yeah. where I don't have to do that much. And then the only way to be successful and hit this target is by actually having an attack angle that is up if I'm swinging down or yeah. flat, right? I mean, it's not the, the craziest part about all this, I think, and, and just kind of hitting on what we were talking about earlier, is that it's not really that complicated. No, no.
0: It's not, there's no complexity. You know, it's to just it,
3: really, it's continuous, continuous, continuous stuff. Um, you know, whether it's like an end loaded axe bat that is going to feed into that problem of somebody having a high attack angle. So then I have to be able to be more direct to the baseball for someone that has a high attack angle or the opposite for someone that has a low attack angle. You know, we're trying to work on creating more stability, so we're going to give you instability, so you, yeah. then you have to force that, like, it's... it's that, was, that was the thing,
1: I think, that was a big light bulb for you, yeah. was the concept of feed the mistake. Yeah. yeah. So we, we, we like bucketing into two fronts, is you're either going to help them do the movement that we want them to do, okay. or you're going to hinder. Hinder teaches much quicker than helping and a lot of times people go the help route I'm going to help you do the right thing whether it's a hitting coach feeding a pitch to their sweet spots like oh look Mm. at you're barreling it up or the pitching coach you know doing whatever it may be of I'm going to help them do the movement I want them to achieve right but the hindering piece the feeding the mistake if somebody's pulling their front shoulder or they're yanking their head or they're doing something okay how can we make that that movement solution is less desirable so like hitters having a soft front side Right? Okay. We could tell them, hey, we want to have a strong front side, we're gonna put a wedge here to help you have a strong front side. Mm-hmm. Or we can go the opposite route and say, so, okay, we're gonna put like a yoga mat or an Eric's pad, we're gonna make that front foot a little less stable. And if you don't choose the right movement yeah. solution that enables you to have a stable front side, mm-hmm. then you're gonna literally fall over. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, hitters don't do that, but that, so I well, think that do. makes <laughs> this very, very practical. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think this makes it very practical. Like We as coaches can look at somebody and say, okay, that's wrong, we need to fix that. But instead of trying to go and say, I'm gonna give you the answers and fix it right away, do yeah. this movement, do this with your hands, do this with your glove, whatever it may be, maybe choose a drill or exercise that feeds the mistake and then the tech or the way that you set the environment will give you direct feedback mm-hmm. on doing it successful or not. This is another good, really tangible yeah. tool. The drill becomes the coach and the player will instantly know, do I, did I do that successfully or not? They don't have to wait for the lag time of yeah. you as a coach saying, good.
2: Yeah. And them having to then interpret that information correctly. Yep. Yeah. Correct. You know, right? yeah. and,
1: and do it over yeah. and over again. And then and then once it gets easy,
2: make it harder. On the pitching side, we see that a lot. So um, some of the tangible examples I use on the pitching side, let's say a kid's cutting the baseball. He comes around it. He's getting a little side spin on his baseball. We'll do something as simple as putting a target outside of his throwing arm to make him throw through the middle of the baseball. Um, You know what we would do and how we bucket on the pitching side it's a little less tech heavy just because of the the mechanical aspect of pitching but um, we'll do a biomechanics report on each each new pitcher that comes in okay and then we look for low-hanging fruit we look for the few things that they're doing mechanically that we think we can clean up okay and then we give them three drills in their throwing program to execute every day so let's say a kid's late getting up with his arm Okay, it's, it's, he's got what's called the forearm flare. Okay, we're going to probably do some things to get him into a scap quicker. Okay, we're going to give him a connection ball here that he's got to drop first. We're going to put a connection ball up here that's going to keep him in a 90-degree angle. Um, a great example of a, a high-level, super high-level pitcher that came to us in the fall, um, we did a biomechanics report on him, very inefficient arm path, okay. You can't coach that. Yeah. You can't tell a kid, "Hey, uh, be more straight with your arm have path. a better arm You know, part. a kid <laughs> yeah. that throws 95, you know, I like guess. So what do we do? We put a club in his hand and gave him drills. And guess what a club does? Makes him go direct with the ball. And, you know, I did another, and I think we're going to do a little blog on this, but I did another uh, biomechanics review with him on Sunday. I mean, it was gorgeous. Yeah. And there has been zero talk with him about it. Just execute these drills properly. Awesome. So, yeah, I think uh,
1: that we want to change the movement. We need to either change the organism, I think that's what the majority of the athletes in our building have to start with. Mm -hmm. Do you have the range of motion? Yes. Do you have control of that range of motion? Yes. Do you have the strength Mm -hmm. and the explosiveness to then make that athletic? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, then we're in a good spot from the athlete standpoint. Mm -hmm. Majority of athletes under the age of 18? No, no, no. Somewhere along that line. Mm -hmm. Once you get past the organism, okay, we're gonna continue to always try to manipulate and train and get in the weight room and all that, then it's the task, and we need to make sure the tasks are appropriate and addressing the things that, mm-hmm. from a mechanical standpoint, are their deficiencies. Yeah. And so I think everybody skips the organism; yeah. they don't want to they don't want to deal with that 120 pound kid. It's like, oh, well, just come to hitting lessons with me. Dude, you are 120 to 140 pounds. Yeah. Like every eighth grader <laughs> to sophomore slash <laughs> junior in high school that says I want to play college baseball and they have no interest from a, a college coach, they weigh less than 160 pounds. Yeah. And it's just simple. That's a simple bucket that you can check. But the, strength, the, the hitting coach isn't talking about meal and nutrition and all that, okay. right? So once you then address the, the task, the last is the environment. And I think that's something as we moved into this new space, we were intentional having a, a massive cage. Because the biggest issue with the hitters specifically, and the pitchers too, is there is a drastic difference in the environment inside a facility and outside the facility. Mm-hmm. There is no pressure. There's no umpire. There's no uh, uh, fear of failure to a certain extent. Sure. Uh, and so we've, we've used live at bats towards the end of the winter to try and get as game-like as possible. Mm-hmm. We're never going to be 100% there. Sure. Um, even, yeah. even if we, you know, God forbid, at some point figure out how to have a field, like, we'll still never be game-like because being on the varsity field, playing against your rival, like that, that pressure and that feeling, we cannot replicate that in that moment. But that, that should be the progression that we should do as we work through this, this thought process
2: not only that like we use the machine in the big tunnel especially at a similar distance that a pitcher releases a baseball i remember when chase started up when we moved in here and they would put the, the machine right down the middle i'm like that's not where the angle is when a pitcher throws a baseball you know yeah, you remember? Yeah, like and yeah. i was like put it at the same angle and like, oh crap like that's constraints that approach it so yeah. was all like copy the environment set up the environment so it's more mm-hmm. game like so the hitters, you know execute better. Oh, it, was it funny, you know? the
1: other day uh, it was like a month ago and you're like i cannot figure it out this cage is like, should be lighting everybody up and they're crushing it. And True. this kid cage should be the easy cage. Yeah. And they're like swinging and missing. This is our youth yep. program. And I walk over and I was like, dude, that's like Josh Hader, like arm slot fastball from the left side. Like, yeah, kids yeah. don't see that. And yeah. they're literally, like it's right down the middle, like meatball, but it's yeah. coming like at like a 15 to 20 degree yeah. angle yeah. from the left yeah. side. I was like, But, nope, but then we've <laughs> had like
3: 90 years here was, for the yeah, youth yes. kids and they're Just crushing strange. it. Yes. I'm like, you have no business hitting that. Yes. Like that's great. Yeah. So yeah. That yeah.
1: I, I think some of the, uh, you know, the
2: new podcast topic, perceptual yeah. aspect of fitting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. yeah. yeah. I,
1: I think the um, the takeaways that I want from this is that the constraints that approach is already being implemented. Yes, it is used by the best coaches, whether they know it or not. It is very, very simple. If You want a new movement. OK, is it an organism issue? Is a the task that they're trying to address? The environment is really the one that's tough to, to mm-hmm. change because we, we yeah. can't create a game-like environment as much as we want True. to. a Beyond that, we want to make sure the information they're given, perception, is as close to game-like as possible and you give them the opportunity to process that information versus us as coaches barking at them and giving them that information. Now mm-hmm. that's corrupt, like you said earlier, mm-hmm. and you are manipulating that the connection between the perception and the action. Uh, and then I think the, the last piece is a very, very useful tool. We already do this a lot, but it's feeding the mistake. If you have a movement that you want to get rid of, make it so whether the drill, the environments or the athlete themselves, that makes that movement as undesirable as possible without obviously not killing anybody, but, sure. um, you know, make it so that, that, that choice, if you're looking at, you're thinking about your test, A, B and C, well, you're going to put D on the back of the test. So you're like, man, well, I got to flip the sheet over. I don't even know that D was an option. Well, yeah, cause I don't even want you to choose that one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that this, you're going to start, and you already know there's a lot of coaches who are, who are using this and talking and using this language. It can be made very, very simple. Um, and, you know, I, I think that uh, it, it's, it's already being used. Um, but, again, once you know and you're aware, you can double down on it.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Good. Yeah. There we go. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode number 30 of Talking Points with KPI. Please follow us on all our social medias and be on the lookout on YouTube for this episode. Thank you guys very much. See you guys next time.